Thank you, children. I hope you can join us this evening at 6 o'clock and uh, following uh, the children's uh, program, there will be this uh, ice cream social uh, just for diabetics uh, in uh, the fellowship hall. Um, so please come and uh, be with us at that time and watch me stand around doing nothing. So uh, be here with us. Uh, we, we hope you come. Those of you who are visitors this morning, uh, we are really uh, glad to have you here uh, in the class, the Sunday school hour that follows. I teach a class that's designed uh, for our visitors. I hope that you'll take the time to, to come be part of that class. Just leave the sanctuary, turn left, go down to the Welcome Center, and you'll find the visitors' class in the hallway to the left of the Welcome Center. Uh, elders, please take note of the fact that uh, we need uh, to meet this evening at 5.25. Elders at 5.25. Um, Let me ask you, if you would, please, to uh, open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians, the fifth chapter, as we continue our uh, examination of this portion of God's uh, Word. Ephesians chapter 5, and let me begin reading um, with verse 21. I want you to know, I'll mention this in the sermon, but I want you to see this even as we read right now. You see verses 21 and 22. Well, in our Bibles, they're always separated and put into different paragraphs. And even here in the ESV and I think in the NIV and other translations as well, Beginning with verse 22, there's always a new heading and so forth and so on. Well, I've told you on many occasions that these verse divisions are not inspired. Um, and I think it's really intriguing uh, grammatically, and I hope interesting and important for you to realize. If you look at verse 22 in the English, you look at verse 22 in the English, see the word submit, which some of you have trouble saying, um, you see the word submit, the verb submit. It's not there. In the Greek, that word is not there. In the Greek, that verb is supplied, as is perfectly proper in Greek grammar, is supplied by the submitting in verse 21. The submitting of verse 21 becomes the verb of focus in verse 22, which is what the Greek does all the time. It carries verbs over from previous statements uh, and will give us a verse in which uh, when you search high and low, you realize there's no verb in this verse. Well, the verb is supplied by the previous statement. So, in fact, if you were to read this somewhat in a more literal fashion, it would read, Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives to your husbands, as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he, may, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, 
that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's pray together. Father, give us your wisdom, give us your understanding and insight. May we handle properly this word of truth that you have set before us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple of years ago, I uh, spoke to the Covenant College basketball team uh, prior to their first game of the season. Well, having had very little experience playing real basketball, I stuck to the biblical theme of honoring the Lord in all we do instead of supplying them with hints on how they might win this game. Well, I've had zero experience being a wife. And as a consequence, I'm told by the women in my family and told very strongly by the women in my family that uh, while I preach boldly to husbands, I speak timidly to wives, Um, which I think if I were to review my past history is probably true. I really like you, Um, but I shouldn't speak timidly if I'm handling the Word of God. So I want you to pray that I will lovingly speak the truth, but that I will lovingly speak the truth, Uh, that truth which is revealed here in God's infallible and unchanging Word. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 21, we're told to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Then in Ephesians 5.22, Paul immediately proceeds with that theme as he specifically calls upon wives to submit, the verb supplied from verse 21, to submit to their husbands as to the Lord. In Ephesians 5.33, the last verse that we read this morning, in Ephesians 5.33, Paul instructs the wife to respect her husband. Submission and respect. These are the two key words that Paul uses to describe the wife's role and her attitude toward her husband. Now, let's get some background here. In Genesis chapter 2, we learn that God created the woman to be the man's easer. E-Z-E-R, if you want to transliterate it into English. Easer, that is his helper. Uh, We tend to think, we, we hear that, and I guess because of our cultural bias, we tend to think of a helper as someone who occupies... A secondary role. Who's that guy? He's my helper. I'm the boss. He's my helper. But that's, that's not how Scripture uses the term helper. The primary 
illustration, if you will. In Genesis 45, verse 25, as, as Jacob is blessing his sons, Jacob tells Joseph that the God of his fathers will be for Joseph his Ezer. That the God of his fathers will be his helper. That the God of his fathers will in fact be the one who blesses him. Well, clearly God doesn't fill a secondary role, but he is our helper. He is the one who blesses us. Surely there's nothing secondary about being the one who blesses another. And I want to assure you, I am a blessed man. I can say with the writer of Proverbs 12 and verse 4, an excellent wife is the crown of her husband. And I can assure you, Linda fills no secondary role in our home. Here in Ephesians 5, verses 22 and 33, if you will, they teach that for a woman to fulfill this God-given role of being for her husband his helper, if she is to be for him a blessing, she must be both submissive and respectful of her husband as he fulfills his God-given role as head of the house. Now, let's proceed here to dis just to discuss briefly this idea of submission. This is a theme that will continue a couple of weeks from this morning. Talk of submission. Talk, talk of a wife's submission to her husband sounds completely out of place in 21st American culture. Well, remember... As we talked about last week, what Paul teaches in Ephesians 5 didn't fit the thinking of the first century any more than it fits the thinking of the 21st century. You need to remember that. Paul didn't write these words and people in the first century read them and go, well, of course. They were as revolutionary to the first century as they are to the 21st century. What Paul writes here in Ephesians 5 was as much out of step with his own day as it is ours. We must also note, and I think this is critical, these are not general instructions that you can share to just anybody. What Paul writes here in Ephesians 5 is not written to unbelievers. It's not written to unbelievers. He's writing to saints. He's writing to those who by grace through faith have embraced Jesus as their Savior and their Lord and their King. And they've been given new hearts which are eager and willing to do as their Lord commands for their confident that what he wants is best, and that what he commands he will enable them to do. His words are spoken to believers. To believers. So believers, look with me here at this. But look at Ephesians 5.24. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 24. Here Paul teaches 
that the wife is to be in submission to her husband as the church is to Christ. Now let's just pause a moment. We know the church members who submit to their Lord, we know they are not his equal. We know that. So, if Paul is calling upon wives to be in submission to their husbands and to submit to, uh, to, to their husbands as the church submits to Christ, is Paul suggesting that women are inferior to their husbands? Absolutely not. Why not? Because when Scripture uses the word submission, follow me here, when Scripture uses the word submission to describe human relationships, uses the word submission to describe human relationships, it does not suggest the idea of inferiority. Let me give you some examples. In Luke chapter 2, verse 51, Jesus is a child. He is described as being in submission to his parents. Well, clearly Jesus wasn't inferior to his parents, though as a child. He obediently assumed a submissive role. Oh, okay, okay. I got you, preacher. So a wife's relationship to her husband is to be childlike. It's to be like a child's relationship to his or her parents. Just hold on. Just just wait a second. In 1 Corinthians 16, 16, 1 Corinthians 16, 16, members of the church are told to be in submission to their leaders. Well, Well, clearly, church members are not inferior to their leaders, though they are to submit to those whom God raises up to be their leaders. In in Romans chapter 13, verse 1, citizens of a nation are commanded to be in submission to the civil authorities. Well, clearly, as citizens, we're not inferior to those who govern us, but we are in obedience to the Lord to submit to their authority. And most significantly, throughout Scripture, while God the Son and God the Holy Spirit are described in terms equal with God the Father, as we confessed this morning, as we confessed this morning, as we recited these words of a common confession of faith, Both God the Son and God the Spirit do the Father's bidding. As a matter of fact, in Ephesians 5, verse 23, look at Ephesians 5, 23. When we're told that the husband is the head of the wife, well, we're also told in 1 Corinthians Chapter 11, verse 3, 1 Corinthians 11:3. we're also told that God the Father is the head of God the Son. That's even made more clear, perhaps, more clearly revealed, perhaps, in, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, where we're taught 
taught blatantly, I mean, just taught as bluntly as we can possibly be taught anything, that Jesus, God the Son, though equal with God the Father, did not consider his equality with God the Father something to be grasped. But he willingly submitted himself to the Father's purposes and became a man so that he might die on the cross in payment for our rebellion. Well, likewise, the wife being in submission to her husband does not suggest or imply that she is inferior to him. That's just ridiculous. That's just silly. That's just completely, utterly unbiblical. God created both man and woman in His image. Both man and woman are redeemed by the blood of Christ. Both man and woman will stand before the Lord as equals on the day of judgment. God created both man and woman in His image. But being in submission to her husband is the role that God gave to the wife from the beginning prior to the fall. Prior to the fall. Now, listen, we all know. I mean, we all know experientially the fall negatively impacted everything. So now instead of two sinless human beings, we have two sin-scarred human beings commanded by God to be one flesh. But note, children are not to obey their parents because they're perfect. Church members are not to submit to their leaders because they're never wrong. Citizens are not to submit to those who govern because those who govern never make bad decisions. And wives are not to submit to their husbands because they're sinless. Children, church members, citizens, wives are to do so because this is how, grac- this is how God graciously orders our lives. In Ephesians 5.22, Paul teaches that wives are to submit to their husbands as to the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean, that does not mean that the wife is to think of her husband as being the equal of the Lord, because obviously he isn't. It means, be submissive to your husband as to the Lord. It means that she is to submit to her husband because she is submissive to her Lord. She is to submit to her husband out of submission to her Lord. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And it is Jesus here speaking through Paul who commands the wife to submit to her husband. So when a wife submits to her husband, she is doing so in submission to her Lord. So wife. Never been there, never done that. Let me ask you something. If you love the Lord, you take seriously His Word? Then why is it so hard at times, perhaps even often, 
for you to submit to his headship. Well, (laughs) the first reason is obvious. It's because he isn't perfect. At times, he's downright sinful. And in a couple of weeks, I'm going to deal more fully with that problem. The wife's response to her husband's sinful behavior. But if you allow me to maintain the particular focus of this morning, just remember that while your husband isn't perfect, neither are you. Neither are you. As a daughter of Eve, the remnants of sin and a woman who professes faith in Christ, that remnant of sin still tempts her, as it does children, church members, citizens. Tempts her to fight against the creation order, that order set into place by God prior to the fall. Look at Genesis 3. Look at Genesis chapter 3. It's easy to find. Just start at the beginning. Keep turning the pages. Genesis chapter 3. Following Adam and Eve's rebellion, God pronounced His judgment. Look at Genesis 3, verse 16. In Genesis 3, verse 16, God tells the woman that she will bear children. Now, that's a good thing. Because God promised in verse 15 that one day a woman would give birth to the man who would crush beneath his feet the head of the evil one. So that's a good thing. But God tells Eve as a consequence of the fall, childbirth will now be a painful experience. Never been there. Never done that. But I know if all of you were a little more honest, I'd hear hear some amens at that point. It is a painful experience. I have stood there and witnessed it, (laughs) cheering, you know, go, go, you know, it's just. I sometimes wonder how often a wife really wants to slug her husband at that particular moment. So, but at any rate. Now, at the end of verse 16, God tells Eve that her husband will rule over her. You see that? Well, since Adam's headship has already been established in Genesis chapter 2, that Adam's headship was established prior to the fall, his ruling over her in and of itself, it's not a bad thing. I mean, like the promise that she will bear children. In and of itself, that's not a bad thing. But now look at the words that precede this declaration. This is what God tells Eve, that her desire shall be for her husband. Now, some think this speaks of sexual desire. But sexual desire is not a curse. I promise you it's not a curse. Sexual desire is a good thing. I mean, the song, have you read the song? Go home and read the Song of Solomon if you don't believe me. Song of Solomon celebrates the pleasure of physical intimacy within the bonds of matrimony. No way whatsoever is sexual desire a part of the curse except 
for the way in which we sometimes allow our sexual desires to dominate us and to, and to control us. But in and of itself, that's not part... So what is the desire that will be for Eve a besetting sin? Well, now look at Genesis chapter 4, verse 7. Look at Genesis chapter 4, verse 7. One chapter right after the other. Very helpful to look at the context here. In Genesis chapter 4, verse 7, Cain is angry because God found Abel's sacrifice acceptable, but not Cain's. And Cain is having a pity party. And the Lord says to Cain, if you do well, you will be accepted. And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you. And you must rule over it. It's the same language that you, same words, same Hebrew words that are used in Hebrews chapter, in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 16. Where Eve is told, your husband will rule over you, which is not a bad thing. It's part of the pre-fall condition. Your husband will rule over you, which is a good thing. God intends for it to be a good thing. Just as it would be a good thing for Cain to rule over the sin crouching at the door. But Eve's desire will be for her husband. Well, comparing these two conjoining chapters and passages, the besetting sin against which Cain against which Eve will struggle is that she wants what her husband has. Her desire will be to usurp Adam's rule, to usurp Adam's headship. Its desire is for you. Its desire is to control you. Its desire on Eve's part, the desire of Eve that will be sinful is to rule over and to control the one that God has given to her as a helpmate. You know, which shouldn't surprise us. I mean, we all tend. We all tend to chafe under authority. We all tend to chafe under authority. I mean, we all know about that. Children, church members, citizens. I mean, we at all times, perhaps even often, resent and sometimes even despise those who have authority over us. Those who have a position of God-given headship. Well, the same is true for the wife in respect to her husband. Can Sandy, S-A-N-D-E-S-A-N-D-E, a writer I recommend to you, Ken Sandy has written, what God intended as a blessing has become a challenge. It's become a challenge. Now clearly, clearly, if all twisted and distorted, the husband's exercise of headship, if all has greatly negated the blessing that the husband, uh, that the wife was that the wife was meant to experience through living in submission to her husband. He, 
He shirks his responsibilities. He, he abuses his authority. At times, perhaps even often, he, he sinfully refuses to accept or even listen to his wife's wise advice and counsel. He acts selfishly and self-centeredly. And I know that that's the experience of many of you. I also know that there are many of you, many of you wives who sit there right now and say, you know, by God's grace, that's not my experience. Not to that extent. Not to that degree. Then thank God. Thank God. But the bottom line is, well, this is the bottom line. This is just so crucial. God doesn't call upon us to submit because those to whom we submit are perfect. Now, there's a point in which I will no longer submit. And we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. But God doesn't call upon us to submit because those to whom we are, are to submit are, are perfect. Not parents, not elders, not governors, and certainly not husbands. Which is why we call this the good news. As Ken Sandy has written, since God established marriage before the fall, and He designed it to be good, with His help, we can still redeem much of the joy and blessing that He intended it to produce. Absolutely. Paul teaches in 2 Corinthians 5.17. These are not empty words. Paul teaches in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that by grace through faith in Jesus as Savior and Lord and King, we are a new creation. Which means, as Paul elaborates in Colossians 3 and verse 10, that by God's grace we put on a new self and our knowledge is renewed as we come more and more to know, understand, believe, and embrace what it means for us to be image bearers of our Creator. So husbands, when husbands, and if you haven't been here, I've spoken at length to husbands. When husbands strive to love their wives as Christ loves His church, and when wives strive to submit to and show respect for their husband, the husband loving a wife is far from perfect. The wife submitting and showing respect to a husband who's far from perfect. Those things take place. place. Marriage can become a source of marvelous joy and peace and security and fulfillment. But the problem in so many situations is that we have, we have constructed our own standards. Not God's standards, our standards. And these are the standards to which my wife must measure up. Or these are the standards to which my husband must measure up. And if she doesn't measure up, he doesn't measure up, then it's not my fault that there's tension in this home. Always, always, 
always by God's grace. Please, for your sake, for the sake of this church, for the sake of this community, always assume, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, always assume that if there are tensions in your marriage, it's your responsibility to find a way to relieve those tensions. Always assume it's your responsibility. If you, a professed follower of Jesus Christ, stand to one side and say, well, until she straightens up. Or if you stand to one side and say, until he gets it right, well, welcome to hell on earth. Welcome to hell on earth. Marriage is intended by God to be a source of joy and peace and security and fulfillment. But it's not magic. It takes work. It takes work. It takes work. And it takes the husband assuming that the responsibility to fix things is his and it takes the wife to assume that her responsibility is to find a way to help see that things get fixed and perhaps by encouraging and trying to gently prod her husband lovingly prod him to do as the Lord would have him to do. And a husband who is not willing to be lovingly prodded I don't know what term I want to use. I don't know what the term is I want to use. The husband that is not willing to be lovingly prodded by his wife. That is so sad. That is so, so sad. This is God's promise. Listen to me. This is God's promise. This is the promise of Almighty God. You can do all things through Him who strengthens you. You see athletes going out, you know, they have that verse taped on their, on their helmet. I hate that. I just hate that. That's about as horrible a misuse of Scripture as I can possibly imagine. Does that athlete think that that verse applies to the fact that he's going out onto some athletic field and God's going to give him supernatural strength to win the game? That's absurd! I'm sorry. That's absurd. That's a travesty as far as the use of Scripture is concerned. That verse is speaking to every one of you. What God commands, He enables. You can do all things through Him who strengthens you. The wives, you must willingly submit to your, to your Lord. 
And as you willingly submit to your Lord, you must willingly, therefore, embrace His good and perfect pattern for marital relationships. To reject such an idea is to reject the Lord. To look at this passage and say, my husband is such an idiot, I can't possibly do this. Well, there may be at some point a time when it becomes true that things have reached a point where you can't keep on keeping on. But that's way, way over here. And what I see, what I see is when the problem is here, you've got people over here going, I quit. I quit. That's so sad. That's to reject the Lord's standards. To embrace these truths. To live in the light of these truths is to move closer to that day when you can both know and experience His immeasurable and incomparable blessings. Let's pray. Father, teach us these wonderful truths. Father, they challenge us. Sometimes they even, sometimes they even haunt us because you just keep out of your grace and out of your mercy to us, instead of turning away from us, you keep whispering these things in our ear. But God, may we hear. May we respond. May we trust You. Father, hear our prayer, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.